Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on the Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Morning, Venture. Yeah, you can give the Lord a clap this morning. That's good. You can do that. Man, good morning. My name is uh, Chuck Eastman, and I'm the college and young adults pastor here. And uh, we're in a, in a cool little series, uh, a little three-week series called Family Matters. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, Tim uh, gave an incredible talk on marriage. Uh, I've only been married for two years, and uh, my wife was elbowing me the whole time, you know. And uh, it's just really a good and incredible talk. Um, at one point, you know, Tim talked about how, hey, you know, when your husband's, you know, trying to fix the, the dishwasher and he doesn't know what he's doing, you know, you ladies just go ahead and encourage him. I told my wife, you don't have to worry about that because I'm never going to try to fix stuff. Um, and that's, that's really true. I'm, I'm going to call the task rabbit. Uh, you won't be seeing me fixing uh, much stuff in the house. But uh, in next week, uh, Pastor Charles is going to be here and he's going to be talking about parenting. And, uh, and most of you guys don't know this, um, but me and my wife are expecting. Yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, and I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. I'm kind of waking up in the middle of the night with some knots in my stomach. And, you know, uh, it's just like, ooh, okay, what's this going to be like? So next week, uh, if you have kids, if you don't have kids and you want to have kids, uh, man, show up. Uh, I think there's going to be a great talk on what it looks like to raise uh, godly kids. Uh, this week, uh, we're talking to singles, about singles, uh, for the rest of us as well, to kind of lean in and go, what is God doing in the lives of those uh, who are not married? If you know my story at all, and I've been up here a bunch of times and I've mentioned it, uh, I didn't meet my wife till I was 38 years old. I'm 41 years old now. Uh, last month, August, uh, was our three years to the day we met. Um, we met in August of 2020 during the pandemic. And uh, before her, I had only had uh, one uh, kind of serious relationship. So a lot of singleness uh, in my life uh, before I got married and as a big part of my experience. And so today we're gonna talk about singles, two singles. And here's the big idea kind of out the gate for you singles. Uh, I just want you to know uh, God loves you. And I want you to know you matter to God. And if you're not single this morning, I hope today's talk uh, challenges you in some ways uh, where you can love singles well and you can care about them well. Uh, in the room, there are all kinds of people who are single. There, there are students, middle school and high school students, and uh, you're not married, hopefully. Um, and uh, but you may be trying to figure out maybe some dating stuff. You're trying to figure a little bit of that out. There's college and, and young adults. Um, there's a fair amount of people uh, in the room who probably experience divorce. I think the, in the San Jose area, about 9% of the population has experienced uh, divorce. Um, and then there's about 5% of the San Jose uh, population who are, have been widowed. Uh, widows and widowers. Um, actually, when I first got here, I spent some time upstairs. Every once in a while, I go up to the Koinonia class, the 745 class uh, in the morning. Anybody been to that? 
We've got a few people who have gone to Koinonia. It's awesome. Uh, the coolest people in the church uh, meet at 745 before any of you, anybody else gets here. Uh, they're incredible and amazing. And there's a lot of people in that group that have lost a spouse. And maybe they were married for, for a long, long time. And now they're single again. There's lots of different kinds of singles in the room. Um, studies say that in this area, this part of the Bay Area that we're in, um, the average age is about 37 years old in our area. And, and that, that age group, the, the 25 to 40 age group, are the most single of any generation. Um, this age group isn't getting married to about t- age 28 for women or age 30 for men. And only 44% of people between the ages of 25 and 40 are married, only 44%. That means 54, 55% are not married. And, and so it's a, it's a really single demographic. And also the millennials, the, the 25 to 40s, is now the largest group of any generation. Right? This is now the largest generation in the population. And so there's a lot of people who are not married sitting in the house this morning. And I have kind of four hopes uh, for us this morning. And the first hope this morning is that if you're married or if you're single, but especially if you're single, we would recover an identity rooted in Jesus. We would recover an identity rooted in Jesus. Now, that doesn't seem like rocket science, but why is it so important? I think it's so important because the pressure of culture in our lives is to tell us that our identity is rooted in our relationship status. Whether we're married or single or dating, and maybe it would even go further than that, it would say your core identity is your sexual identity, your sexual preferences. And so it would say deeply central to who you are and why you exist on the planet is who you're in relationship with. And, and I would say that that's actually um, really actually kind of close to the truth. It's not the truth, but it's, it's really, really close to the truth. In fact, you and I are wired and designed for relationship, but it's the Human relationships are not the basis of our core identity. In fact, there are two aspects of our core identity. Our core identity is rooted, first of all, in the image of God. Look at what uh, Moses says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Right at the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth and the universe and the stars and the sky. And then look at what God says in verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, why is that such a big deal? And why do we need to get our mind and our heart around it? It's a big deal because of this. It means that you were made by God and your core identity is to be an image bearer, a reflection of the beauty and the glory of God. That when I look at you and you look at me, we're getting a picture, a reflection, a portal to how beautiful and glorious God is. We're made by God and here's the big deal. That means he's the only one who gets to decide our worth. 
God is the only one who has stamped into our DNA what our worth is. And that's incredibly important to hang on to because what, ha- what tends to happen in our society and in our culture is to try to find locations for our worth. Now we can do it in a lot of different ways. We can do it in our performance at work. We can do it in our money. We can do it in our experiences. We can try to place it everywhere. But actually one of the deepest ways we try to know that we're a person of worth and value on the planet is when someone else says, I like you, you're attractive. I want to be with you. Oh man, our, our desire for, for worth, oh, it just resonates with that so deeply. And in, way, in some way, we are desired, we, we, we are designed for that connection, but ultimately that connection is for God and by God. So we're made by him and we're made for him. And, and here's the next big core part of our identity. You and I are chosen as sons and daughters. We weren't just made by God and sent out into the planet, sent out into the world. You just kind of wander the planet as image bearers, but he made us, he decides our worth, but he made us for himself as sons and daughters. Look at what Paul, the single apostle, by single, I don't mean the only apostle, I mean the apostle that wasn't married. Uh, Paul, um, who was, many think that he was married when he was a Pharisee and that when he became a believer that his wife abandoned him or maybe she died. Um, Most think that he had been married before, but as he comes into his ministry, he is not married. And look at what he says about how we are made for God in Ephesians chapter one, verse three. He says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, and we can say daughters, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. You are chosen as a son or a daughter. You are made by God, he decides your worth. You are made for God, chosen to be his son and daughter. And that's so important because we build again so much of our identity based on who accepts us, who chooses us, who wants us. And a lot of times our internal happiness goes up and down based on being accepted or rejected by the people that we want to love us the most. And so God just comes out of the gate and he says, man, you are chosen, not forgotten, not left. You are chosen by God. Now, I think there are three quick implications for dating. I'm not going to talk about dating all that much this morning, but just real three, three quick implications for dating. If you're trying to date and you want to be married and you're like, all right, you know, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Three quick ones. If your identity, if you have a deeply rooted identity in knowing your worth made by God and knowing you're made for God, then you can date from a secure and confident identity. What do I mean by that? I think most of us, what comes out on display in a lot of the ways we're trying to figure out relationships is we're actually driven a lot by our insecurities. And so what we do is we, we cover ourselves up and we, we fake it, fake it till you make it, right? That's what they tell you. 
right? We put on our best shirt. That's okay, by the way. I didn't have any nice shirts until I got married, but, <laughs> you know, I remember one of my, one of me and Catherine's dates, I showed up and she was acting kind of weird. And I said, what's wrong? And she's like, you need to throw that hoodie away. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is my favorite hoodie. She's like, it needs to go. But, but so much of dating is a projection because we are actually terrified that if somebody saw who we really were, we'd be rejected. We're so terrified. And yet the Christian, the one who says, man, I'm made by God, I'm made for God. I'm not made for you. And so I don't have to impress you. I'm gonna show up as who I am on the planet. And you can be a part of this or you can not be a part of this, but man, I belong to God. And that's never gonna change and no one can touch it. We can date from a secure and confident identity in Christ. When you date, if this is true of you, if, if you're someone who follows Jesus and you're rooted in him, then when you date, you make Jesus the lead story. People ask me all the time, I have college students ask me, you mean when I go on a date, I just need, I need to start talking about Jesus? Yes, yes. Like the first thing, yeah. Well, how do you do that? I tell them what you do every weekend. Well, I, maybe I don't go to church. Well, see, there's the problem. <laughs> Talk about what you're involved in, what you're plugged into, what you're about, right? You're trying to find a person at a deep level of connection for a covenant of marriage. And, and you got this thing about you, about like you're made what you are made for, which is God, and you don't say anything. And I know people that they'll go months without ever talking about Jesus. And what that really means is Jesus is not your lead story. He's not central. He's not what you're all about. Because if he's what you're all about, if he is your core identity, then he, he will naturally come out and say, hey, I, just, I don't know what you're doing. I know we're hanging out here at this cool coffee shop and we're having a great time, but let me tell you what my life is about. Let me tell you what I'm wired up for. And, and maybe you, if, if that's a cool thing, maybe that's something we can talk about. We make Jesus the lead story when we date. And then the third little thing here about dating is if we're made in God's image, if he has stamped our value into our DNA and he determines our value, then demonstrate honor in how you date. There's so much dishonor in how people date. And I experienced a lot of this. There's, I mean, things like getting ghosted. Anybody been ghosted before? That's a terrible feeling. You're talking, you're talking, you're talking, and then radio silence, right? I don't know if anyone's ever been stood up for a date before. Not a good feeling, right? Getting ghosted. Um, people push boundaries. I know so many guys that'll push boundaries as they're dating a girl, and then, and then they'll blame the girl for leading them to temptation. That's called gaslighting, by the way, right? It's dishonor. Lying, not telling the truth, not being clear in your intentions and in your communication. Listen, if the person you're talking to is made by God and they're made for God, then your job is to say, wow, what is that about? How do I see the image of God in you and celebrate that? I wanna be curious about it. I wanna find it. I wanna honor it. So much of the way we date is selfish and what works for me. And that's why our relationships blow up in our face. 
You can't shift from a selfish attitude in the whole dating process and then all of a sudden get in the relationship and then shift to being like Jesus and laying down your life. It just doesn't work. And so some of you guys are in that process right now I and mean, you're trying to figure out how to date. But remember, that's not what you're made for. My second hope this morning is that we who are married and, and that those who are single, we would actually look at one another and receive one another as a family who are purposed for belonging. We're a family who are purposed for belonging. If you look back up, actually, the verses we were just looking at, five and six says this again. He predestined us, that's his purpose. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us, what? In the beloved. Who's the beloved? You. You're the beloved. You're the family of God. You're the people of God. So God has purposed you and said, I chose you. You are not forgotten. You have not been left. You are my son. You're in relationship with me. And I have purposed you to be a part of the beloved. Doesn't that sound better than just the church? You're part of the beloved. You're the deeply loved people of God as his sons and daughters. And God has said, single and married, you are purposed to be in one family. He picks it up again in chapter two, verse 17. Paul says, and Jesus came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are members of the household of God. Now, now why does he have to say to this congregation, that when Jesus came and he laid down his life and he preached the gospel and he said, follow me, why does he have to say he preached peace to those who were near and to those who were far off? Well, the reason he had to say that is that there are some people who are insiders. There always are. There are some people who by, in some way, they, they're kind of naturally closer. They, they fit. In this context, it would have been the Jewish people. They had all the commandments, the, the Ten Commandments and the family of God, and they, and they knew all this stuff. And so they were, they were kind of close to the gospel. And Jesus said, you're really close. You just need to understand the way the Messiah has come. But then there's these people that are far off. They don't belong. They, they've never sat at your table. They, they don't come close. They don't think church or the family of God have anything to do with them. And they're far off. It says Jesus went and preached peace to them too. Anyway, the one who felt like they didn't belong and the people who knew that they belonged and he said, you are now one household. So then those of us who follow Jesus have to ask, who's the far off? Well, if you look at the research, young single adults are by far the least likely people in our culture to go to church. Not even close to any other demographic. Young adult, single, and if they're male, like church is not even on the radar. They just don't have anything to do with church. And you go, well, well why is that? Why do young, unmarried, singles, uh, particularly men, why do they want nothing to do with what's going on at church? A lady named Madeline Clays tries to put her finger on it. She writes for a relationship blog, not a Christian one actually. Um, which is interesting, by the way, if you're interested in dating and trying to figure things out. When I was single, I was reading relationship blogs and listening to podcasts. And anyway, they're very interesting. Um, 
But Madeline, Madeline gave five reasons why single adults don't feel comfortable in church. Number one, they just don't feel like they belong. They feel like they're left out. Things that they're just not talked about and they're not, they're not recognized and they're just left out. That's, that may not be true, but it's how many of them feel. It's hard to go alone. Anybody feel any social anxiety when you go somewhere by yourself? You walk into a place, there's a lot of people you don't know and you're on your own. So a lot of single adults will walk into church and, and they're here and they might know one or two people, but they don't know everybody. And they see families and kids and maybe they sit down and, and they don't know anybody. And then people are supposed to turn around and talk to their neighbor. Anybody's heart start to race when that happens? You know, when the host is like, all right, guys, turn around and say hi, high five somebody. Anybody go, ooh, don't do that to me. Don't, don't look at me. Right? There's some social anxiety and when you're alone, that makes it worse. Um, there's no accountability to go, right? You wake up in the morning and maybe you're not feeling it or you know, you're kind of like, I'm kind of interested, but I don't know, I don't really know. And they got a good live stream. And by the way, live stream people, we love you. But, but there's no accountability. And, and so there's no one saying, hey, come on now, let's, let's go worship. Let's go, let's go be a part of what God is doing. Many singles have had bad experiences in church their experience with people who are married and with families is constantly like, how do we fix you? How, how, you know, there's something really not, you know, you're kind of, ooh, uh, you know, uh, we, let's get you, we gotta, oh, we gotta find, we gotta get you fixed. We gotta make sure you get married. Now listen, most singles, most singles really wanna be married. It doesn't really help to be like, well, let's kick up the panic mode for you. Like, you're what? You're not married? Ooh, let's get, whoa, we gotta, ooh, like, we gotta make sure because this is bad for you. And so there can be some, some stuff that's really painful for singles to hear and causes a bad experience. But, but most singles, the biggest reason Madeline gave was that most singles in the deep ache of their life, of, of just journeying through life, struggling with being lonely, struggling, feeling like they don't belong in the larger culture and in community groups. Many, many singles feel like God has forgotten them. And listen, when you feel, even if you love Jesus, and if you feel kind of at the bottom of the bottom, like God doesn't see you, because if he saw you, he would, he'd move in your direction. If he saw you, he would, he'd snap his fingers and he'd, he changed the way things are. And, and when you feel deep down in your bones, God doesn't see me. I'm just telling you, church is a hard place to go. It's a hard place to go and sit. We're going, man, haven't we seen God? Come on, haven't we get shout about his goodness? And, and you're going, I'm just, I don't feel like he sees me. I don't feel like I see him at work in my situation at all. And so many singles feel that way. And for that reason, they feel far off. And the question I have this morning is, who preaches peace to the one who feels far off? And I'll just tell you this, Jesus preaches peace to those who feel far off through those who have found a place to belong. You. Jesus preaches peace to the one who feels like they don't fit through you. And by you, I mean 
You guys that are married, you have families. God has uniquely positioned you as someone to say to the person who's far off, hey, come on, I got a seat at my table. I got some food. I remember when I was in the church, I had this one family in my church. I loved them to death. And they would just, they'd make a meal. And she said, hey, when I make a meal, you know, it's really for five people. But we've only got four people. So I'm just going to pack up the extras and, and I'm just going to give it to you on Sunday. Is that okay? I was like, man, that's super helpful. Thank you. Because I don't cook at all. And, and, and the people would just invite me in and, and, and invite me to come sit in their living room and, and hang out and, with their kids and, and just be a part of the rhythms of their family. Listen, you work with people who are single. It's a huge amount of them in our area. You work with people who are single. There are people in your communities and at your gyms and, and everywhere around you who don't feel like they belong. You can invite them in. You know, if you're single and you love Jesus, but you feel this kind of disconnect, can I just challenge you? Don't just hang out with other singles. Don't just hang out with other people who aren't married. Pursue and spend time with married people and their families. Pursue them. There might be married people and families in this congregation. They would love for you to come in. It wouldn't be intruding on them at all for you to be around them, to be sitting at dinner at their table, to go hang out with them when they go to fall festival, to be around them all the time. They would invite, I knew so many families when they, when they knew how desperately I wanted to be involved, they opened their door and said, Chuck, you can call, come on over anytime. We may be eating lasagna tonight, but you can come hang. Pursue families. There's a lot we can learn when we're around families, when we're single. The second thing I wanna challenge you in if you're single is let God grow you into being a good partner in the context of community. Let God grow you into being a healthy partner in the context of community. I don't know where we got the idea that when we date, we date isolated from community. We don't let anybody in on the process. And then once we kind of figure it out, okay, we're gonna be together. And then we kind of try to trot our way back into community, but our relationship is unhealthy. Why? Because we're unhealthy. Disconnected from community makes you a bad dating partner. Being rooted in community allows you to learn what it means to be a healthy part of a family. You know, it's an interesting thing. I, there'd be times where I would, you know, I'd be around a family and, and uh, you know, the wisdom of a friend's wife to a single guy, it can be powerful. Or one time, one of my friend's wife said, you know, Chuck, I mean, you, you're awesome. I, you, know, I don't, you know, I don't know why you're not married or whatever, but she said, but I do know one thing, you talk too much. I was like, wow, ouch. She said, you talk too much and you're loud. Might be scaring some people off. And I, you know what was nice is if I'd come from my buddy, I would have argued with him. Came from my buddy's wife and was like, oh, well, maybe I need to grow in that. There's something about being around and in community where you start to learn humility. Where, you, where, where your EQ, your, your, your emotional intelligence goes up because you see the way people interact with one another. You see their conflict. You get around families enough and, and you see a disagreement go down and you see how it's handled and, and you see when their kids run through the living room and, and back talk to their mom and how their dad responds. And you, there's so much you learn that's gonna make you a good partner. And actually I would argue you can't learn it unless you're around people that you see doing it. We have gotta get away from this idea that we separate from community, 
figure out a relationship and then try to trot that back into community. Learn who you are and learn to become a good partner in the context of community. Now my third hope this morning, and it goes really closely to my second hope, that we're a purpose for a belonging, but here's the other thing, we need to remember that we need one another to accomplish the mission of Jesus. We need one another to accomplish the mission of Jesus. Listen, God has given gifts to his family to get the mission done. He's got gifts, like supernatural gifts, gifts you and I can't just do in our own strength. And we need all of them. We need gifts of administration. We need gifts of teaching. We need gifts of generosity. We need gifts of healing. We need all the gifts. And if you go to 1 Corinthians, you'll see there's a whole spectrum of gifts in chapter 12, 13, and 14. And people don't often notice that just a few chapters before, Paul's talking about his own personal gift. Look at what he says in chapter seven, verse seven. He makes this mind blowing statement. I wish that all were as myself am. What's that? Single, unmarried. But each has his own gift from God of one kind and of one of another. In other words, here's what Paul's trying to say. He goes, I've got a gift that's allowed me to be single and to press in, to serve and to love and to contribute to the body of Christ. And it's a great gift that's allowed me to do so much. I wish everybody had it. That's a crazy thing to say. But what he says is there's a a bunch of different gifts, one of a kind, and we need them all. And that's exactly what he'll say in chapter 12. Listen, singles can make a massive impact when they leverage their gifts and time to serve the church. Singles can make a massive impact. Listen, we're about to really go into another gear with a third service. A four o'clock service, man, our whole goal is to create space and reach more people far from God. And it's gonna take a lot of work. I just wanna challenge, there are singles in the room who don't have kids they've gotta put to bed right for lunch. They don't have to rush back and cook dinner. And listen, we need you to accomplish the mission of making the name of Jesus famous in the Bay Area. We can't accomplish the mission without you, singles. We need you and the body We need each other to do what God has called us to do. I love what Paul says. Again, remember, guy's single. He writes the book of Philippians from prison. He's been going around the world doing really what you can't do. You know, the kind of ministry Paul had, he couldn't have done it if he was married. It just doesn't work to be in and out of prison and have a wife and kids. I don't know if anyone's noticed that. But from prison, he writes to his church and he talks about the way that they need one another. And look at what he says in verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, I'm doing what you can't do, namely preach the gospel from prison to all these cities that you can't go to, but I need you and you need me. 
in the partnership of the gospel to make the name of Jesus famous and to make sure people come awake to the love of God for them and what he did on the cross. We cannot do it without each other. We need all the gifts in the church. Singles, serve passionately and sacrificially. Don't waste your season. You may say, well, I don't know if I've got the gift of singleness. I don't know. You know, I really want, man, I just, I, got, I want to get married. Great. But you're single now and it is a gift. Use it. Don't waste your season. My last hope this morning, and I think it goes all the way back to the first hope, which is that our identities in Jesus were made by God, were made for God. But my, my last hope here is that we've got to reclaim a wild confidence that the best is yet to come. We've got to reclaim a wild confidence that the best is yet to come. Listen, marriage is not the finish line. Those of you who are married can laugh because you're like, yeah, I didn't, yeah, for sure. It's great. It's awesome. It's not the finish line. Marriage is not the ultimate goal. And neither marriage nor singleness is eternal. Did you know that? Neither marriage or singleness is eternal. Jesus was asked about this in Matthew 22. They were talking about the resurrection and when God returns and, and the new heavens and the new earth and when everything's made right in the world. And they said, hey, who's going to be married to who? Especially if somebody dies and they get remarried and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus goes, what are you talking about, man? There's no marriage in heaven. Marriage and singleness, neither of them are eternal, but Christians live and they work toward a vision of the future where God makes all things right. See, in the garden, things were perfect. God made man and woman in the garden for relationship. And then sin entered the world and it broke everything, but God is pointing us toward the future where he makes all things right. Marriage isn't our finish line, the future is. The best is always yet to come. Look at what John says in Revelations 21. And I love this passage because it takes the image of marriage, the beauty of marriage, and it tells us what it's all about. Look at Revelations 21, verse one. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eye and there shall be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making all things new. And he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. Marriage is beautiful, but it points us to the final day. Marriage is incredible. I love being married, but marriage is just pointing me to the day when God's gonna get rid of all evil and he's gonna establish his kingdom and everything's going to be right. Listen, for the Christian, married or single, the best is always yet to come. You know, about a year, a year and two days to the day before I met my wife. So in August 19th, 
2019, I went to Colorado and uh, I went and I, I went to climb a mountain with an old friend of mine. He was a pastor in Colorado and we were, my, we were college roommates. And uh, he lived in Colorado and he climbed these 14ers all the time. And um, I don't climb mountains. I don't know if you can tell or not, but I'm not really a mountain climber. Catherine can tell you I hate to hike. But Garrett was like, hey, let's go climb this 14er, you know? And uh, it's like nine miles to the top and then you kind of come down the back and you leave at three in the morning. And so we got on this mountain and um, I, I just, I remember that this season, you know, I was 37 years old and um, I was pastoring, I was pastoring a small church. And, uh, but I, I went out there and hung out with him, but I, I was feeling some kind of way about being single, you know, there's kind of, a, kind of an ache in my bones a little bit about it. And um, so we, we kind of get on this climb and, and, you know, he's breathing mountain air, man. He's just quick. I am not. And so I'm dragging. We're just, we're trying to do the mountain and I'm just huffing and puffing and dragging. And about three hours in to, you know, it's gonna be about seven hours to get to the top. Uh, he decides that he's gonna take off and summit and then come down, meet me and then summit with me. And, uh, you know, that makes you feel great about yourself, you know? <laughs> So he, so he takes off. He just, whoop, he's gone. Now, I don't know if you know this, but I'm an extrovert and I hate being alone. And so now I'm on this mountain in Colorado alone and I'm, I'm not having it. I'm just, I'm like, oh man. And I think I showed up a little bit mad anyway, but I started to get angry. And then about, you know, an hour and a half after he kind of had gone off and disappeared, the trail split. And I didn't know which way you go. You go left, you go right, I, I don't know. So I went right. And, and about 20 minutes later, I found myself in what they call a boulder garden. You guys know what that is? Okay, so it wasn't like I was doing, you know, Tom Cruise Mission Impossible, but, uh, but I was kind of flat up against the thing and the rocks were moving. You couldn't put your foot anywhere and the wind was blowing and I was having to hang on to stuff and I was starting to get, scrape my hands and, you know, my hands were bleeding and my knees were bleeding and, uh, I got really angry at Garrett. Sorry, Garrett. Um, and, uh, and I was like, that, mm, that punk, he just, he left me. And now I'm, I'm on this mountain that I don't really wanna be on, but I came to be with you on. And, and now I'm alone and now I'm lost and now I'm hurt. And it, it seemed like the climb would last forever. Just an incredible, long, never ending, ankle hurting, blood down your shin, climb. And I was so angry. And uh, I, I got to the top of the summit and he wasn't there. Um, he had gone down. What he didn't realize is there were two trails. So he went down trying to find me and he didn't find me. So I got to the top, summited, was so angry. I barely paid attention to the summit and looked out. I took a picture, the picture is gorgeous. I look at that picture and go like, wow, I didn't even realize how beautiful that was. I was so mad. And then I started coming down, man, and just such a, like a depression, like in my heart. And um, here's what I didn't know. Um, Garrett got to the top and he came down looking for me and he didn't find me. He didn't realize there were two paths and he thought I fell off the mountain, <laughs> which is a pretty good assumption. Um, so he started running to get to the bottom because he didn't have no cell phone signal or anything. So he just starts just sprinting down the mountain. 
And he ran and he ran and he ran like breathlessly all the way down. He got all the way down to his car where he got some phone signal. He called his wife. He says, man, I can't find Chucky. I don't know where he's at. I think he fell off the mountain. They're calling the ranger. He says, I'm going to go back and find him. He got back in the car. He ran back, literally ran back three hours back up the mountain, just running, looking for me. And he found me. And he walked down, really half the climb down with me. And, and I just, I just, I think there's probably somebody in the room who goes, man, I've been left behind. Um, I'm hurting. It's okay to say that. And it doesn't ever seem like it's gonna end. And I just want you to know, one, there's a lot of beauty on that climb you're not paying attention to. I mean, there's a lot of beauty going on around you that you are not seeing. Beautiful things happening in front of you, things that God is doing and working in ways. There are peaks you're seeing that you maybe aren't paying attention to because you're so internal. And I think Jesus would say, man, open your eyes and look at what I'm doing around you. And then here's the other thing. You may feel like God's forgotten about you, but he has not left you. And he said, I preach peace to the one who was near, but I also ran and ran and ran and looked and looked and looked to preach peace to the one who's far off. And you are not alone. You are not forgotten. You are chosen by God. Yeah. Maybe this morning, as we respond in worship, maybe what you need to do is say, here I am. And I must try to get my eyes off myself. I'm trying to remember why you made me. And I'm, I wanna put my confidence in you, Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you've never put your confidence in Jesus, I just wanna challenge you right now, as we respond in worship, you can do that. You can say, hey, Jesus, I feel forgotten. But when I open my eyes and I look at the cross, I realize that I am not forgotten. Would you be kind to me? That used to be my best favorite prayer when I was single. Jesus, will you be kind to me? Will you show me your kindness? And if you need to experience that this morning, I just wanna challenge you as we respond, would you say that prayer to Jesus? Jesus, we need you more than we realize and we need each other more than we realize. And in the beauty of your manifold wisdom in the gospel is that you chose us and you made us part of the beloved. And everyone under the sound of my voice has a place here and your grace is available for them. Would you help us to experience it in Jesus name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.